Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you that you're here. I felt like the worship was so powerful. Actually, the ver- that whole first song that, uh, that the worship team led us in, David was singing, it was like, this is my message, you know? So isn't it, it's really great that you can come to church and your, your life gets transformed, not by, even though all, our musicians and singers are amazing, truly, and our, our technicians, our sound guys and video people and, and, and guys and girls and, and are truly excellent, but we don't come for them, we come for the encounter that they lead us into with Jesus. And I just love have those encounters. The last song we sang, A Thousand Hallelujahs, I could just go home after that. You know, like this is, I, sometimes I put that on repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat for hours and I don't actually get tired of it yet. I might OD on it, but I haven't hit the, the saturation point yet because what else will we do? besides be in awe at the one who has no beginning and no end, who needs nothing, whose absolute being, truth, light, goodness, love, who became a human for the purpose of being abused, tortured, and executed to buy us, the Lamb of God, who came to be the sin offering for every human wrong and atrocity that's ever been. He didn't come to condemn the world, he came to save the world. Aren't you thankful? Uh, And then, if that wasn't enough, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit that that you would become the holy of holies, that the uncreated breath of God would live in you and empower you to be his witness and move through you and with you, Jesus, thank you. We just live in awe of you. We ask you to open your word, open our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm interrupting my amazing exposition of Paul's letter to the Romans because sometimes you need to go places and illustrate it or there's seasons where it's like, it is so dense that, that it's good to, pause and fill it out and, and uh, never get bored. So Romans 8 tells us that, you know, that we're children of God and if children then heirs and we're not just heirs of God, but we're joint heirs with Jesus. You ever, you ever see like, you know, a, a, a movie or you read a book and it talks about, um, you know, that they're going to someone and they call a person, you know, this woman, they say, oh, she's an heiress. Meaning she has, she, her family has so much money that she never has to think about lack ever in her life. And, uh, and maybe you'll meet her and, or likewise, a, a person could be an heir of a great family. I wanna tell you, you are a joint heir with Jesus. Your, your inheritance is inseparable from his. Like, it doesn't just mean like he's sharing his inheritance with you. It means he has, he has joined himself with you in his inheritance. And so, all that God has given us is probably beyond anything we can ever comprehend if we spend our whole life 
pondering it, gazing upon it, meditating on it, walking in it, you will never exhaust the inheritance that's been given to you. And so I want to just talk about this. And uh, because we're in this time of great contending, we see darkness all around us, but we're, we're, in, we're alive in a history-making moment, in a turning of the earth, of the nations. But I want to tell you, it's a time where it looks like it's disaster, it's actually a time of birthing the greatest revival the world's ever seen. And, and so, you know, but the funny thing is sometimes these, these moments happen at awkward times. Any women had babies at awkward times? Like, wait, I can't be in labor now. <laughs> like, you know, and so, and sometimes we feel like we're in a wilderness. Like, God, how can this be the moment in time? And it's an amazing thing. I, I, this is one. This verse has been a, a favorite of mine ever since I was a very young Christian. First time I heard it, you know, like somebody's reading this passage, and I'm like, wait, wait, where is that? What's the name of that book? You know, uh, Hosea. Two, Hosea's story. Hosea was a prophet, and, and God chose Hosea to experience the broken heart and betrayal that God has when his people turn away from him. And so he said, Hosea, I want you to go take a wife who's a prostitute. And it's like, wait, God, you gotta be putting me on. Nope, <laughs> her name's Gomer, you'll go find her. She's down at the corner. Anyway, the Hosea, so Hosea marries Gomer, and he loves her, but she can't break out of her life pattern, you know? And so she's unfaithful to him, has children who, that had different biological fathers, all this going on. And, and so Hosea is sharing the broken heart of God. But then God reveals this strategy, Hosea 2.14. He says, therefore I will allure her, his straying bride, and bring her into the wilderness. Sometimes God... Why am I in a wilderness? Because I want you to give me your whole heart um, and speak tenderly to her there. So sometimes when God brings us into to, to a, a season of turmoil, it opens our heart, the eyes and ears of our heart to hear and see what he has for us, to speak tenderly to her there. And there I will give her, there I will give her the, her vineyards, restore the joy, and make the valley of acre, which means trouble, a door of hope. And so sometimes we're, when we're in the trouble, we're there and God opens this big door of hope and says, now I've got, I've got you, your attention, now I wanna show you what I have for you. So, and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth and at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. In other words, he, he allows trouble to get our attention so that he can heal us deliver us, and open a door of hope for us. And he's not throwing us away, he's, he's bringing us in. And, but sometimes we don't recognize those doors, but here's the reality, in all this trouble that we see around us, God is actually bringing us there so he can get our attention, so he can get us out of survival and into revival. You know, because his plan is always to fulfill his promises. And so, uh, we talked about this last week, Isaiah 60, such a, a strong word for this time. Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. 
verse 2, for behold, darkness will cover the earth and thick darkness the people. Sounds like today. But the Lord will rise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. And this is going to create something. The nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So this tells us that, it, that God uses times of great darkness to birth times when his glory rises on his people, and we're in the birth contractions of the greatest outpouring that, that has been known in history. And so um, I wanna, we wanna go today, look at our hero, Joshua. Okay, so if you have Bibles, I hope you do. If you don't have Bibles, you have some kind of um, something like this, something electronic. If you don't have that, it'll be on the screen so you can read it. All right, so. But Joshua was, was faithful to the Lord and to Moses. Uh, he, he spent 40 years in the wilderness. He and Caleb, out of the 12 tribal leaders who were sent to spy out the land, only two of them saw things from God's perspective. That was Joshua and Joseph. Um, you know, we learned a little song and we sang it with our children. God, you know, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad and two were good. And Joshua was one of the two that were good. And so everyone else and all the nation, the 10 people, their propaganda of fear swept over the whole nation. The whole nation came into doubt rather than faith. And, they, and God said, I can't use this. They're all gonna die in the wilderness. All the things they've said about me and about my plan, they said, we're all gonna die here. We wish we had died in Egypt. He said, okay, you get what you say. And so he says, but Joshua and Caleb will go into the land. So they waited 38 more years. And actually, when they get here, we often think of Joshua as a young man because he was young when he started out. But by the time he gets to this chapter, he might be 80 years old. Maybe, yeah, I'm not sure. He might have been 70, 65. But he was not, he wasn't like in the youth group. Okay, so, uh, so and he's there. And Moses has died, and so they've wept over Moses for 30 days. God took him up, showed him the promised land, said, you're not gonna enter in, and there were reasons for that. He's, and, God, and he died, and God buried him. It said he buried him. They, and no one knew where, but they spent 30 days weeping for him. And now Joshua n knows that he's the leader. But you know, sometimes, especially when you're, you're new in something, you don't know, like, what, should I do something? Should we, we're just gonna wait on the Lord, you know, and renew our strength. And so we come to this, and they're, on top of that, they've arrived at the, at the promised land, but the Jordan River is swollen, maybe a mile across, overflowing its banks, big trees and logs coming down the muddy water. And it's, you know, it's like, well, we're not going anywhere till this changes. Sometimes, isn't it funny that God picks awkward moments to tell us to do something? Like, this is impossible. And so here we find Joshua 1.1. Okay, now we're ready. And uh, Joshua 1.1 says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, like, like, yeah, he's dead. I know, that's why I'm sitting here. You know, I mean, it's just like we miss him. But then the next word is kind of scary. This word now is means like, doesn't mean like in six months when you can walk across the Jordan River and not even get your knees wet, but now, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, this 
flood, this mile-wide, crazy uh, current where you're all gonna drown. Arise, go over this Jordan, and all you and all this people, all these people that don't know what they're doing, into the land that I am giving to them <laughs> and the people of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Like, this is like, some, some uh, scholars look at the book of Joshua and they say these first nine verses are like the table of contents of everything that's going to happen over the next 13 chapters. And so the, uh, but the first thing God says to us, sometimes we're looking at, you know, we, we've got promises from God, we've got desires in our heart, we've got things that won't go away, but we just go, I'm just waiting for the right time, you know? And so sometimes the right time isn't when we think it is, it's not when we've got all our ducks in a row and we've got everything prepared, but it's when God speaks. And that's the now. And so the now, therefore, arise. <laughs> so the first instruction, these are instructions. How do we get into our promises? Arise, stand up, take a stand. You know, like, that's the first thing. Get off your rear end, you know, and uh, without being rude or crude. But, you know, you know I mean, it, passivity can be addictive, you know. Like, it, <laughs> the longer you sit there, the longer you sit there. You know, it's like, your muscles atrophy, your motivation goes away, depression sets in, TV becomes like, wow, this is the most exciting thing in my life. <laughs> Watching, you know, house flipping or, or, I mean, is reality TV the ultimate loss of any meaningful narrative in our culture? I mean, there aren't even like compelling stories. You know, when we were kids, we used to love, we'd love the man from uncle or, you know, or, Hey, who remembers that? You know, way oldies, uh, or leave it to Beaver. You know, <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, because I felt like Beaver, and my older brother was like Wally. You know, so it's just my 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 mom didn't wear high heels and pearls for sure, but the uh, but there were dynamics between the brothers that I could relate to, and I had you know friends like Eddie Haskell and all that stuff. But okay, I know, like all the, I just lost everyone under the age of sixty, but the. Uh, Unless you've seen reruns, but the, but back to the story. The, uh, but I mean, there is this thing where we can get in a funk where there's no purpose, no calling for our life. We're just existing. And the thing, the most exciting thing in our life actually has no meaning. So I just want to break that off. Anybody, this is part of why he takes us into the wilderness. So we get uncomfortable with passivity and we're thinking like, why doesn't somebody do something? And then God says, now you rise. Okay, just a thought. But I mean, this is also in the New Testament. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, which is this incredibly long chapter, but it's the chapter that has the resurrection. It has life swallowing death, immortality swallowing mortality. And then he, he kind of ends with this. Verse 57, I mean, it's not the very end of the book, but he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know you already have the victory? You're thinking like, man, I just wish I could get some victory in my life. You already have it. It's been given to you. Access the victory. It's yours through Jesus Christ. His name actually means, one of its meanings is victory. Like, oh, like you, he gives us the victory. So I just break off some, this feeling like we may have been defeated. We may have tripped up and messed up. But I'm telling you, you still have the victory. It's just not being manifested. So we call the victory forth in your heart 
in your language, in what you see in your heart, the meditations of your heart aren't upon what a smuck you are or some other thing that I'm not supposed to say. Everything's politically incorrect. So the, uh, but <laughs> what a you are. I mean, it's just, but instead you start recognizing, thinking about, meditating on and saying, I have the victory through Jesus Christ. It's not in me, it's in him, but he's in me and I'm in him. Come on. Therefore, verse 58, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. No, did, did you hear that word always? Like, wait, you know, how about like, you know, on Sundays? No, no. Therefore, my beloved brothers, and by the way, the word brothers always means humans, okay? I mean, it's not, it's not, it's like, come on, deliver us from political correctness. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters and those who don't know which they are, be steadfast. Don't go anywhere. Be steadfast, be immovable. Do you understand, a lot of the purpose of warfare is stand, having done all, stand. If you stand, you will wear out the devil. I mean, if you stand, you'll do like, and you may get every heat-seeking missile he has sent at you, but the resurrection lives in you, and you're either gonna go to heaven or you're gonna stand here and bring heaven to earth, you know? So it's like, you're... Being immovable exhausts the enemy. Okay, so be steadfast, be immovable, have grit. You know, don't say, this is hard. Like, of course. And it's, and it's purchasing for you a far greater weight of glory than we can even ask or imagine. The, uh, and we're always abounding in the work of the Lord. It doesn't mean we're just having a little bit. It means we're overflowing with the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And even if it looks like, man, that was, what was that all about? What a waste. Nothing you do is wasted. No word you speak has, is without meaning. Sometimes we do things and then it washes away and it comes back. Have you ever read the Old Testament? You know, the Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was torn down, the people were taken into captivity, all kinds of things. They stood and Nebuchadnezzar had them all, you know, if you don't bow down to this golden image, we're gonna burn you up, and three didn't. How many did though? How many compromised? How many, I don't know. But you know, and God showed up, but here's the story, 500 years later, that Jesus is born to Mary in Bethlehem. So it's like there's, so all those people that got wiped out, did they lose their significance? No, we're all part of a story and the purpose of the story is to bring him glory. And so whether we live or die, we glorify God in our bodies, come on. So Jesus, you know, we have this American addiction to a good life, the American dream, you know, and, and God loves to bless, he, he finds pleasure in the prosperity of his people, but some of us are called to be his witnesses in all kinds of situations. And one of, I mean witness, our word witness is the translation of the Greek word martyr. Just a thought, okay. And sometimes you say like, I don't wanna witness to people, they might hate me. Like, no, he said, I've called you to be my martyr. Like, are, <laughs> help me Jesus. Okay, 
but in order, okay, to get into the inheritance, not only do I have to stand up and think his thoughts, but secondly, I have to cross over. Arise, go over this Jordan, this thing that you think is impossible that you'll never, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that, but that's the second step into possessing the promises is God will all bring almost all of us to something that is so impossible, if he's not in it, we're sunk, right? It, you know, John Wimber used to say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And, and there's some other words it could be spelled as too, danger, threat, you know, taking a, a real risk. Um, but here's the deal. Even if you are a snowball in hell, you have a chance that no one can imagine because God is with you. <laughs> so, have you heard that phrase that you, you know, snowball's chance in hell? I mean, that's old fashioned or something, but it's like, no, if you're the snowball, you can go right through hell and you'll come out on the other side and you'll still be a snowball. <laughs> you might be a crispy snowball, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. So we have to cross over, but so the question is, what's holding us back? What's holding us back from stepping into those God-given dreams, stepping into those callings, stepping into those prophetic words and promises? And sometimes we just have to cross over. And we get, we, we think, unless it happens to me instantly, and I get picked up like Ezekiel by my hair and dragged someplace and dropped, then it's not gonna happen. Well, get, when Ezekiel got dropped, he got dropped in a, a valley that was full of dry bones. You know, I mean, might not be so good to get it instantly. But so, like for Anna and I, I, I just thinking about in my own life, where would have been our Jordan rivers? I mean, there's been more than one, but like a massive one in our life. Sometime around 1985, we, it, we had this amazing mission school. It was like, you know, it was like the Navy SEAL mission school. We had a 10-page application, it had three interviews. We told them like, you're either gonna change or die. Well, what happened was, <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the students did great, <laughs> they went all, all over the world, and, and uh, in the midst of this, you know, you get to eat your own words. So, the, uh, <laughs> in the midst of this, we're doing this teaching on the fire of God. We had a lot, you know, we did, when we taught on revival Lonnie, or miracles, Lonnie Frisbee came and, and we had a wild night in, the, in our town and, and a lynch mob tried to get me fired the next day. But I mean, because you know, now they're making a movie about Lonnie anyway, just a little side note, but a, a new movie uh, it, called The Jesus Revolutionaries. But the, uh, and the guy who plays Jesus in The Chosen has been cast to play Lonnie Frisbee, which I just think is like, come on. So anyway, Lonnie, Lonnie did, and we had, whoever carried whatever grace they carried, we'd try to get guest speakers. Sometimes we couldn't, so we got Joy Dawson teaching on the fire of God, because you know when you're young, you want fire. You know, everybody, if you talk, you know, fire and fragrance, fire schools, it just kind of goes with young people, and they're like, God, just burn us up, you know? And so we were there, and, and so Joy Dawson teaches on the fire of God. Woo, it was scary, she taught us. You know, she said, you may as well get it over with. Just ask God to burn it up, you know, with a flamethrower. So, you know, of course, I bring half, more, like 85% of the mission school came up to the side. We want it now, you know, it's on there. And said, God, burn up everything in us. That's not Jesus. What I didn't know is he said, okay. <laughs> so, and for seven years, we had had a prayer meeting and all we prayed for was revival, that we would be, God, we wanna be at ground zero when you drop the revival bomb in America. Actually, Cheryl Balbuena, who's here sitting next to Ann, 
Hey, Phil and Cheryl, we're part of, we're part of this gathering and uh, we gather out on this ranch. We actually where a lot of the little house on the prairie things were filmed and, and we, we were like so intense, you know, which, so when you're around young people that are intense, just try to find some oil and throw it on their fire. You know, God, you know, they're not gonna, they'll, they'll survive, okay? That's what I'm saying. The, uh, and not only survive, but they'll thrive. So, so you know, I pray for this, and, and, you know, within a few months, like, our perfect life started falling apart, like little things that go wrong, struggles, getting, you know, cr- crazy things, and a lot of, you know, doors are open, crazy things. But within a year of that time, you know, we were in deep pain. We had, like, we were, we were dealing with, with mysterious diseases, with stress in our lives that we couldn't get over. And then our, my, my friends that I'd been with, so close with for years and years, started judging us because they couldn't understand what was wrong with us. <laughs> they prayed and they didn't hear anything from God, so they just made lists of possible sins that were in our lives and they would give them to us. The young leaders do things rough, you know? They don't have all the wisdom. And so we, get this, we got this list of 14 possible sins. We wept and cried and we'd confess them and throw, you know, rip it off, throw it in the fire. Kind of like Hezekiah laying the accusations before the Lord. And then we'd call people up and repent, which caused the other guy to say, hey, we, we, you know, we just said maybe this is what, we don't know if that's what it is. But anyway, it was hilarious. So anyway, in the middle of this, God, people reached out to us, and I know I've told this story before, and I'll try to microwave it, but, but God sent prophets to us. Actually, Lonnie Frisbee was one of them, they, and they kept saying the same thing. One of the prophets was Iverna Tompkins, who's just a brilliant uh, prophetic teacher that uh, is probably at least in her 90s now if she's still on the planet. Or otherwise, hi, Iverna, glad you're here in the cloud. But the, uh, but <laughs> the, uh, so, so, but, they got a letter from this little group in Pennsylvania and we're crying out like our lives are, are just melting down and we don't know what to do. We can barely even make it, it to church. You know, like it, we're, we're like on the brink of nervous breakdowns and starvation all at the same time. And the, uh, and, but we know like if we, if, we, if we don't get through this, it's gonna split this big church in this little town and it's gonna be a bad for the name of the Lord. So we, I just would cry out, God, open the door so we can go someplace and be healed. And my imagination was, you know, Hawaii or, um, you know, some nice friends that lived on the coast and had hot tubs in their backyards and, and they would just minister to us, give us inner healing and, you know, and we'd be on our merry way back, back to our plans. But God had a different plan. We, said, we cried out, take us to a place of healing. He opened a door of hope in the valley of trouble. And we crossed a Jordan that seemed impossible. A little group in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, actually um, Kim Nunemaker's grandma wrote the letter, dear sister Iverna, we think you know somebody who could be our pastor, you know? And so Iverna didn't actually know who these people were and they didn't know what to do with it and they prayed and they said, well, maybe we should send it to those kids in California because they're gonna die if something doesn't happen. So we get it and we read it. We don't even know where Mechanicsburg is. And there was no, I mean, you know, we had our first computer and we had dial-up internet. There wasn't like you could look on the internet and find out everything about every place. So we're like going, we're looking in encyclopedias. We're going to the library trying to find Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. What is this? We felt nothing, you know. And so they called, hey, you know, anything open up? Nah, 
And they said, well, what about that group in Pennsylvania? We, I don't know. We don't, have you called them? No, why, why would we do that? We don't want to. Actually, I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to get out of it and just build houses or better yet, decks. And uh, just like something simple, you know, something, do landscaping, something that was like I could handle. And, the, uh, and so, so um, the, la- the lady that worked for Ivernus said, why don't you pray about it? I said, okay. So the next day, you know, I'd prayed hours every day weeping before the Lord and, you know, everything's burning up around us. Literally, there's this massive forest fire going on, which was the biggest one in up until that point ever, and it's burning five miles from our house, you know, <laughs> it's like ashes coming down in the morning when I'm praying, and uh, so I'm praying, God, help, and so I, that day after the phone call, I'm, I'm at the little church, it, I think it was raining or something, so I'm walking around early in the morning, and I say, oh yeah, God, send that little group a good pastor, And then I heard the Lord, after all these months of weeping, crying, hearing, you know, I'd hear, it's going to be okay, I love you, and you know, you're like, thanks, God, but I want to know, I want to know, please take us someplace, you know, and so I I say this little throwaway prayer so I could say, yeah, we prayed about it, and uh, he said, I am, it's you. Now I'm like, I wish I hadn't heard that, (laughs) and and so I I didn't tell Anne, I went home, I said, Anne, would you pray about this? And uh, she said, okay. And so she went out and she gave God, she gave God four, like a, a fleece, you know, four things, like let our house sell first day, it's on the market full price, and, and that there would be cash. When she told me, I was so happy because I thought, okay, this will never happen. <laughs> We're gonna list our house for 24 hours and then I'll go back to crying and, and <laughs> waiting for that door to open. <laughs> you know, at, at uh, a nice place, La Jolla or something. So the, uh, and, and so it happened. Now here's the Jordan. At that point, we could have said, we're off. Our friends were weeping. They said, you're crazy. You can't, you're not, you're in such bad condition. You can't make a decision like this. And one of my friends, he said, look, you can buy another house. You sold your house. You know, you can buy a new house. And, and we're like, oh, no, we have to go. So we were in, 10 days later, we're in a U-Haul truck. We, we gave away everything uh, that wouldn't fit in this truck, and our car was on a, on a two-axle trailer, and we pulled out and drove across the nation for eight days. And night after night, I would lay in these these random motels all across America and wonder, God, am I destroying my family? Am I crazy? Am I, am I just like, am I committing suicide in a very slow, painful way? And, uh, and then we got here and it's like terrible. We arrive in Lower Allen Township, Mechanicsburg address. We have this ugly townhouse that we signed a, a one-year lease on without ever seeing it. And we're just like, God, what's our crime? There's a massive storm. I'm standing in four inches of rain. We pulled into the wrong parking lot right next to the right parking lot, but we have to turn around in this crowded parking lot with a truck and trailer and uh, in, in torrential rain. And somehow we survived, get to the house, and everyone, the, this group came and they watched us move our furniture in. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of like checking, like, what did we get? You know? and, uh, and, and so we're just like, God, why are 
we here? And why we're here is where, what's happening now. You know, we, we didn't know that God, we crossed this Jordan and we arrived in the spot. And then, you know, most life just picks up at the speed it picks up. And it took a year before we knew why we were here. But here's what I'm asking. What's impossible for you? You know, what's, what's that impossible barrier that's holding you back from taking the step, hearing what the Lord's saying? If nothing can separate you from the love of God, what's stopping you? If death is defeated, what's stopping you? If you've died to your own failings and false identities and your life is hidden with Christ and God, what's stopping you? If Christ is in you, the hope of glory. If you've been justified, sanctified, glorified, and glorified by the election and foreknowledge of God, what is stopping you? What are you afraid of? If, you've, if you're a new creation and all the old junk has been vaporized by the atomic energy of the blood of the lamb, if God is with you and with God all things are possible and if you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, what's stopping you from stepping into that? If in his presence is fullness of joy, if the joy of the Lord is your strength, what holds you back? What's your Jordan? Because Jesus was already baptized into that impossible river and you've already died to it and have been raised to life and you're living in newness of life and the muddy waters have rolled back so that you could go across that Jordan into the inheritance. Now, I'm, I'm gonna do the rest rather quickly here, but um, I'm just, here's my question. As one raised from the dead, do you think you can cross a river? Can you cross? So the word of the Lord is, now therefore arise and go over this Jordan into the land that I'm giving. Because when you get there, it's a gift. And so we explore the gift. Verse three says that every place the sole of your foot will tread upon which I've given, upon, will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised Moses. So he's saying, Joshua, once you get there, any place you walk becomes yours. Do you understand? There were gonna be all kinds of big battles, strategic battles, but most of the time they were walking. And, every, and isn't it the same for you? Like, if God has called you something, once you get there, you may not feel like you own the whole thing, but every place you're walking becomes your territory. My friend David told me, he said the Lord spoke to him one day, he was telling him to do something he didn't know how to do, and, and God said to him, if you'll put the hat on, I'll give you the stuff and then you can do it. And there's something like if God's called you into government or ministry or God's called you into family or education or any of these areas that you're stirred up about, I wanna make a difference. Well, maybe that's the calling. And if you get in and you walk in it, you, things will be given to you that you don't even understand because that initial generation, many of them didn't see the full inheritance, but they filled it out and it was bigger than they could imagine. And that, I mean, isn't that great? Like most of it is a good life. And occasionally we have intense battles. And it's bigger than we are. It's bigger than the current you. Verse four, it was from the wilderness and from this Lebanon as far as the great river and as far as, as the great sea toward the setting of the sun. It was huge and it's occupied by enemies, but it's all yours. So here's the thing, whatever God is calling you to is bigger than your personality. It's, and probably it's bigger than your lifespan. So that what you establish is gonna be a gift 
to the next generation. And so, um, so there's the instructions. Once you step into that assignment, there is something about your calling that makes you unstoppable. Verse five, it says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. This is promised to us in Hebrews 13, five. It's promised to us in the Great Commission. I'm with you. So no one, you know, people can stop you when you're not in your calling. People can stop me when I'm not in your calling. Someone could stop me in my calling, but that calling would go on. Do you understand? It's like no one can stand before you in the ultimate sense of that word. So when you step in, it's not like, you're suddenly this cocky person like, hey, I'm in charge of the whole world. Not unless, God, that's your calling to be in charge of the whole world, but I think there's someone already has that calling. His name is Jesus. And so you've got a portion of it. You've got a ministry that you're called to, and in that calling, or you've got, and your ministry might look like a business. It might look like a political office. It might look like a a, you know, a, an occupation where you interact with people, I'm telling you, but in that calling, you're unstoppable. And even if you have a bad day, when you get up the next day, it's the day the Lord has made. His mercies are new, and he's renewing your strength day by day. So the, and the deal is, as you go into that, your courage is contagious, and it, and it helps other people. It empowers and inspires them to enter into their inheritance. Verse six. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. Your courage and your strength will cause others to inherit what is promised. And uh, it's interesting, this Hebrew word is nachal, and it signifies receiving property which is part of a permanent possession. Do you understand, once we take the territory, it's a permanent possession of the kingdom of God and it's the result of succession. Jesus died so that our, his inheritance could be shared with us. Yeah, I mean, this is amazing thing. And that's the greatest thing about faithfulness is it amplifies as it empowers and equips others. And it might even be bigger than our lifetime. We are, we are part of the answer and the promise, answer to the prayers and the promises made to Abraham, to Jacob, to you know, the, promise, the prayers Jesus prayed in John 17 and other places, you are, you're, we're living in it. We're living in those prophetic prayers that we're praying. We're living in William Penn's prayers. If you're here, you're a resident of Pennsylvania. There are prayers he prayed that God would be glorified in this state, and we're living in it. Count von Sinzendorf, who came to America to see some of the, the work of the early Moravian missionaries, would pass through this area fall on his knees and pray prayers, and we're living in those prayers. There's revival in the roots of this land. There are prayers under the ground. They might be six feet under, but they're bubbling up, and you're part of it, you're part of it. There are angels here to help you step into this promised land. And now I'll close here, and you can stand up. Verse seven, strength is not optional. But God, I'm so weak. That's okay, when we're weak, he is strong. In fact, it's not your strength, it's his strength in you, but we have to say yes to his strength so that when I'm in my weakest state, sometimes he says, my strength is made perfect. It's completed in your weakness. Just get out there and do it anyway. And then that's when God shows up. Have you ever done this? Like you don't think like, oh man, 
you know, God, I'm, I'm just a big flop. And somebody says, would you pray for me? Oh, okay, I guess so. And you pray and they get healed. You know, you pray, you speak, they get saved. You're like, whoa, okay, share the gospel with me because I need to recommit my life to Jesus. This happens over and over again. It's called grace and it's on you. But here's the deal. Strength is not optional. Verse seven, only be strong and very courageous. So this, that word only is a limiter, like there are no other options. Okay, God, I know I, I'm gonna be strong and courageous today. And you know, you step into it, Randy Clark's the best, you know, like I, he has these stories where God just put him in situations and he's like, his knees are shaking and out of his mouth comes life and breakthrough and healing and lives are changed and ministries are launched. And it's like, you don't have to feel strong, but you have to be strong. Come on, you have to be strong. You have to affirm that God's word and God's presence in you is way stronger than how you feel today. So we just break off. I mean, in fact, here's the deal. When you, you know, your faith and your faithfulness creates doubt in the enemy. <laughs> your peace gives him anxiety. He's looking for Ativan. You know, he said like, well, do you have any, I need it. Your joy depresses him. Your, you know, your love brings him fear. <laughs> your rest exhausts him, you know, like, like, hey, you know, I'm gonna be violent for the kingdom of God today. He said he gave me rest. I'm gonna rest, I'm not gonna be anxious. And when you rest, it wears him out because he's trying to make you the opposite. And here's the great thing, your praise destroys him. Your praise is a weapon. Your words are a weapon that are destroying his plan. So I just wanna encourage you, like speak the word of the Lord. Think the word of the Lord. <laughs> Look at yourself in the mirror and prophesy the things that you know that you've read about Christians in the Bible. You're one of them. So just stand there. Say, I'm a new creation today. You know, old things are passed away. My sins have been smeared and they, there's nothing against me. And if God is, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who? shall be against us. All right, God bless you. I wanna, I just wanna encourage you that you would not only hear the voice of the Lord, it would be louder than any other voice speaking to you, but that you would be the voice of the Lord and that your voice, even if it's a quiet, meek voice, has great power. I'm telling you, there are the prayers of little old ladies and, and feeble old men and it's, you don't have to be old to be feeble. You can be a feeble 20-year-old or you can be a strong 100-year-old like Caleb. I want the mountain with the biggest giants, you know. <laughs> Come on. But it's just like this strength is not optional. And so put your hand on your heart. We're just going to pray and then we'll dismiss you. And especially if you have children, I'm going to send you, please go quickly get your children because we've had some long services in recent weeks and the nursery workers are getting like, ooh, you know, your kids kind of wear out at 12.30. So we're eight minutes over time from that. It's, but I just want to tell you that God has made you strong and he's made you victorious. And when you see all the stuff around you, like 
if you let it, it, he wants to get in your head. We talked about it last week, the voice of Rav Sheka. So we read this happening, this happening, this happening. But what we're not hearing because it doesn't get reported is the rising up of God's people, the rising up of decent people that are going like, wait, this is way past crazy. Like we passed the crazy line, like, you know, several years ago and it's accelerating and we're actually standing up and going back the other way. And part of this revival won't just be the people coming in from the gutters, they will come, but it's also people that have just been going like, hey, I was comfortable being in America, now I'm not. <laughs> we need God, you know. <laughs> so I just wanna speak over you. Lord, I pray that your voice would be louder than the voice of the enemy, that your words would be life to everyone who hears this message, hears this word. God, just say this. God, I submit myself to you. I resist the enemy and he must flee. I'm gonna take a stand. I'm gonna cross the line. I'm gonna cross my Jordan into my assignment. Your word and your grace give me victory in every battle and you will be glorified in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, God bless you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there will be ministry up here, but I'm gonna pray for a quick release of anyone who has children just because they're missing you. I can feel it in my heart. So may the Lord bless you, keep you. May his power just be upon you. May you feel his grace and sense his presence. May you know he's looking to you, waiting for your prayers and your proclamations, and he wants to put his shalom upon you. He's with you. He's your helper. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's no reason to fear what any man can do to you. There's restoration coming for every loss. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have the best week ever. <laughs>